not sick of me because I'm back. Um, welcome. Let's worship the Lord. Please stand. Find your seat. Let's praise the Lord.
sinners and we just thank you that you have saved us and that you have chosen us and uh, we just uh, just fall at your throne this morning um, we lift up this morning as uh, we're going to be fed the word and just continue to praise and we just thank you in all these things in your name amen all right you may be seated Well, there are many uh, absent uh, this morning. Uh, we have our uh, youth winter camp taking place right now. Uh, so our uh, students are, are up there uh, enjoying uh, the cold and the snow, and you can be praying for them uh, for a safe return uh, tomorrow uh, morning. Uh, and uh, it's a joy to be able to gather uh, with you here and now uh, to sing uh, and to, to worship our great God and Savior uh, together. Uh, and uh, if you open up your uh, bulletin, a few things I'd like to, uh, to draw your uh, attention to. 
I would encourage you uh, to uh, either attend in person, uh, watch via live stream uh, during when it is uh, taking place, but that equipping hour class on Sundays uh, from 9 to 10 a.m. on how to study the Bible is a really uh, a worthwhile class. And for those of you who don't know, we also have all of our previous equipping hour classes uh, available on our uh, website. So we've gone through uh, not only how to study the Bible, but we've covered uh, kind of basic theology. We've gone through uh, a marriage class, how to resolve uh, conflict. We've talked about parenting. We, we have a, a wealth of resources there available on uh, the website that we would encourage you uh, to, uh, to access and use uh, to your uh, edification. Uh, but we would encourage you to attend that equipping hour class from 9 to 10 a.m. each Sunday morning. Uh, we would also encourage you uh, to at come this Wednesday evening uh, from 6.30 to 9 p.m. We're going to be meeting uh, here, and I believe all of our, I think our growth groups are pretty much taking a break uh, this week to attend uh, this uh, kind of uh, seminar uh, night that we do uh, each year with uh, the, the youth students and with all of, the, all of those who would like to, to come. This is a very big discipleship uh, topic. Uh, and uh, we want to uh, to teach uh, our uh, youth students. We want to come alongside parents uh, and uh, young singles and talking about what what uh, how do we go about this process of looking for uh, a spouse in a way that, that honors Christ uh, and would bring glory, honor, and praise to Him. We want uh, strong marriages. Amen. Uh, I think everybody uh, here, when when we enter into marriage, there's a whole lot of things that we suddenly are like, oh, I wish I had known this ahead of time. Uh, and uh, you're never truly going to be ready and fully and completely to get married. There's always going to be a, a growth in that uh, process. Uh, and um, but but this is going to be very uh, foundational of how do you how do you start off uh, well uh, in. Uh, establishing a marriage in the household. So we'd encourage you to come uh, 6.30 to 8.30. We'll have kind of two one-hour sessions. There'll be, there'll be a couple of breaks, uh, and then we'll do kind of a Q&A time from 8.30 to 9 p.m. Uh, here. So uh, there'll be some snacks and water uh, provided, uh, and look forward to seeing you there. There's uh, other things there to mark on your calendar, the College and Career Game Night this uh, Friday from 7 to 11 at the Weeks Home. Uh, next, uh, the next three Sundays after today, we are going to be taking photos for the church uh, directory. So if you'd like to be included in that or if you want to update uh, your uh, family uh, photo, uh, you can stick around after church on one of those three uh, Sundays. And Mark Lopez will be up here at the front uh, taking uh, pictures uh, so that you can put names uh, to faces. And if you want access to that uh, directory uh, online, you can uh, email uh, either Jacob uh, or myself, um, and uh, we can give you access uh, to that. Uh, other things to, to make note of here, the Women's Titus 2 Discipleship will be a week from tomorrow. Uh, the church potluck is two weeks from today uh, on March 6th, and then uh, men put this on the calendar that we're going to be doing a Shepherds Conference watch party uh, on uh, Wednesday through Friday, March 11th, or 9th through the 11th, and it's going to be meeting at the the week's home. We were going to try and put a group together to go down and attend the conference, but it sold out uh, months earlier than it usually does. Uh, and so we're going to do a, a live stream watch party uh, this year. And uh, you can register for that uh, online uh, on the homepage, just so we know how to plan for kind of different days uh, that uh, week. Now, if you turn a couple of pages over, 
Uh, you'll see uh, we're working through First uh, Samuel uh, in our reading plan. We can be, continue to pray for the youth students uh, on uh, their return from uh, camp. Uh, and then uh, on the back there, you can look for uh, ways that you can be uh, serving here uh, in uh, the church. Uh, every uh, family has uh, chores and responsibilities that just need to be done. And the same thing is true uh, of a church family. So uh, if you are, uh, are here and you would love to get plugged in and want to, uh, we all have the spiritual gift of uh, sweeping. Uh, and setting up chairs and, and different things. There's other spiritual gifts beyond that, uh, and uh, but we, we can all serve uh, in some capacity. So I would encourage you to think of uh, what team you might want to be a uh, part of. Uh, we're really close to being able to split uh, the elementary class uh, into uh, an upper and lower uh, elementary. We're in need of a couple more uh, just helpers. We have the teachers. We just need uh, the, the volunteer uh, helpers in that. So there's a variety of ways that you can jump in and serve uh, as the Lord uh, has put it on your heart, but we would encourage you uh, all to, to be, get involved. Uh, and then uh, I have some really uh, good and thankful news in terms of the, the, the Lord has been providing abundantly through uh, you all, and we're very thankful uh, and kind of blown away uh, by the Lord's provision through you. Uh, but I also just want to kind of put it on your uh, radar and would ask for your prayers. Uh, and some of, some of you have come up to me and you said, like, have you noticed that we're really growing? Like, yes, it has not escaped my uh, attention. Uh, and uh, I have noticed that we've needed more chairs and other things. And uh, I know that yeah, parking in children's ministry will fill up even uh, before uh, this uh, multi-purpose building will, will fill up. And so right now, if you could just begin to, to pray, we're kind of beginning to look for probably another facility to begin to rent. Uh, buying is, is not on the radar right now, but we are going to be looking for another facility that we can rent that will have some additional parking and classroom space. And if you can commit to, uh, to be praying uh, along those lines for the Lord to provide kind of we, we've been established as a church for about four and a half, almost five years, and uh, we, we've, we've steadily grown, and the Lord has provided uh, a meeting space uh, for us each time that we have needed it uh, at just the right time and in just the right way. So, But if you could commit to be praying, uh, we would greatly uh, appreciate that, and we're looking forward to seeing uh, what the Lord uh, provides uh, at the right time and in the right moment. So, But moving on from announcements, if you have uh, your copy of God's Word, and you would open with me to Psalm 97. Would love uh, to read uh, that together uh, with you uh, this morning. I'm going to be reading from the Legacy uh, Standard Bible, which is uh, pretty close to uh, the NASB, uh, which is going to be posted up behind me. So you can uh, read along in your copy of God's Word, or you can read along behind me. But I would love to, to read this psalm together uh, and then pray in response to what we read here. Psalm 97 uh, begins, Yahweh reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of Yahweh. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth, the heavens declare his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast of idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion heard this and was glad, and the daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of your judgments, O Yahweh. 
For you are Yahweh most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. Hate evil, you who love Yahweh, who keeps the souls of his holy ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in Yahweh, you righteous ones, and give thanks for the remembrance of his holy name. Let's pray. Almighty God, Yahweh, you are the holy and righteous God. You are the one who sits enthroned in glory. You are the one who establishes righteousness, who establishes justice. Lord, you are so far above us. You are beyond us, infinitely greater than we are. The heavens declare your righteousness, and we see that we are but specks before you. Father, as we see your greatness, we see our smallness. We see uh, the creation around us. Father, I pray that you would that you would forgive us for all of the ways that we do not worship you as we should. We pray that you would use uh, this time of worship, this time of introspection now, to, to show us all of the idols that we have set up and established in our hearts. Lord, may we not boast in them, but help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. You are over all the earth. You are the one that we should be exalting and magnifying and praising. Father, I pray that you would help us uh, to be conformed into the image of your Son. That you would help us uh, to hate evil. That you would help us to love you. Help us to, to have the same affections that you have. Hating sin, loving and pursuing holiness. And we thank you and praise you that you have saved us and redeemed us you know, by sending your Son. Lord, we were all gone astray. Uh, and you have sent light into this world so that righteousness might be revealed and it might be sown in our hearts. So out of thanksgiving for all that you are, out of thanksgiving for all that you have done, help us to rejoice and be glad in you this morning. And help us to give thanks in remembrance of who you are and all that you have done. Help us to remember your holy name and to magnify that name this morning as we study your word, as we sing out and praise to you, as we pray, and as we go from here after this uh, to continue to live in our homes, in our communities. Help us to magnify your name before a watching world. But... Uh, unite in us a heart to fear your name now, and may we continue to worship you. We lift up these prayers and these petitions in the name of your Son, the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand as we sing in Christ alone. In Christ alone. My hope is found, He is my life. 
singing We Fall Down. because you are worthy and we do fall down at your feet. The weeks can be long and struggle, but you are sovereign over all. We thank you for sending your son to be fully man and fully God, to take on our sin and death on our behalf. We cry out in thanksgiving with these songs and we now pray for our, our hearts to be open, to hear the message today, to keep it in our hearts throughout the week, uh, to give us the tools that we need to be a light for you. Precious Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Well, uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, I know the bulletin says open to John, but if you would uh, actually open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, 
Uh, there's certain weeks uh, in life and in ministry that where a lot of things come up, and this is one of those weeks. Uh, and so uh, we'll be uh, looking at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1 instead of uh, continuing uh, through the Gospel of John. Uh, and we're going to be uh, looking at something that we have already uh, read through in, in our uh, Bible reading plan uh, this month. Uh, and uh, the last couple of days, I have uh, had the, the opportunity to work uh, on uh, putting a, a roof on in addition uh, to our house. And I have learned several things. Uh, number one is that I am getting older and my body uh, does not, not uh, like walking for long periods of time on uh, inclined surfaces. Uh, number two, I have found out that I am still able to get sunburned in the wintertime months, uh, even just a little bit of sun. Uh, it, it burns my skin after being in, indoors for long uh, months. Uh, and I have also learned a lot about the, the roofing process. Uh, and there are a lot of special tools needed for that job. Uh, a lot of uh, specific knowledge is needed on how to use those tools and in what order uh, th those uh, things need to, to take place in. And uh, each of the, the tools uh, in the, the roofing uh, process uh, accomplishes a, a specific task. Uh, and there's a, a pattern uh, to uh, the process. Uh, and you use one tool after another, but each tool is needed uh, for a specific uh, reason. Uh, and once you kind of know the overall process of, of where am I going and how does this fit in, it's easier to follow along uh, step by step. But if you don't really know what happens next or how to use a specific tool, uh, things get out of order and you use the wrong tool for the task at hand. Uh, and uh, there, are, there are certain times in the Christian life where we wonder what God is uh, doing uh, and what he is uh, bringing into our life and say, God, how are you using this and why are you using this instead of something else? Uh, and uh, especially uh, when we have trying and difficult circumstances that we are facing. Uh, that's when we have to realize that God is working in our lives. I love what John Piper says that, God is always doing a million things in our life, and we are aware of like six. Uh, and so uh, seeing and understanding, so if God is always working in a variety of ways, how do I begin to see, how do I begin to look with wisdom uh, at the circumstances of life and try and uh, interpret what is God trying to do uh, in and through my life circumstances right now? Uh, and uh, ultimately, how we can grow in our awareness of how God is working in our lives is by uh, looking to the Scriptures. Uh, and especially in the Old Testament, as we've been reading through First and Second Samuel, Old Testament uh, narrative, uh, we get to see the track record of God. Now, we get to see how God has worked uh, with others throughout human history. And I love uh, uh, what uh, we need to, to pull away from reading Old Testament narrative is, number one, God does not change. Uh, number two, humans are basically the same uh, as we have always been since the fall of Adam. Uh, human nature has not changed. Uh, and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11 says, Now the things that happened to them, speaking of uh, Old Testament Israel, that happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Uh, Romans 15, verse 4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Uh, and this morning as we uh, study in First Samuel, uh, we will be instructed towards uh, that end result of uh, perseverance, encouragement from the Scriptures so that we would have hope. 
And as, we, as we're dropping into uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, we have to, to realize that we're really dropping into uh, the time of the judges. Uh, a time where the very, if you're open there to, to 1 Samuel 1, if you look over to, uh, or a couple pages over, uh, to the, the very end of Judges. Uh, judges uh, chapter 21 verse 25 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so uh, what you, we had in the period of Judges was uh, really kind of a form of uh, tribalism. Uh, there was no uh, single national leader uh, in Israel, but there were different judges at different times, and oftentimes they just led a single uh, tribe of, of the, the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. Uh, and it was a great time of instability. And what we see in First and Second Samuel is uh, God is going to take uh, his disconnected people and he's going to really uh, form them together to be ruled as a nation under a king. Uh, and he's going to establish them as a stable monarchy uh, in uh, the, the books of First and Second Samuel. And as we study uh, chapter 1 in First Samuel, we're going to see how uh, God worked through a very difficult and trying circumstance uh, in the life of Hannah. Uh, and uh, he he used this difficult and trying circumstance, number one, to, to sanctify Hannah, and then number two, uh, to accomplish his plans and purposes uh, to bring about an, an, a leader for the nation of Israel. And we're going to see in this uh, chapter uh, not just how God worked in, in Hannah's life, but how God is still working in your life and in my life today. Now, how he's going to use circumstances uh, and our response to those circumstances to bring about uh, his desired intention for our lives and, and the lives of those uh, around us. And in this passage, we're going to see three specific tools uh, that the Lord uses uh, to accomplish uh, his plans and purposes in our lives and in history. Uh, and tool number one uh, is seen uh, in verses one through eight, where we're going to see that God uses uh, our uh, provocations. Uh, so if you look with me there, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now there was a certain man from Ramathaim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, uh, and his, the son of uh, Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. And now he had two wives. Uh, the name of one was Hannah, uh, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now that man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to Yahweh of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests to Yahweh there. And the day came that Elkanah uh, sacrificed, and he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But Yahweh had closed her womb. And her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because Yahweh had closed her womb. And so it would happen year after year, as often as she went up to the house of Yahweh, that she would provoke her. And so she wept and would not eat. And then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And so what we see here uh, is that Hannah was provoked. Uh, and the idea of uh, 
provoking is to arouse uh, to a feeling or an action. And you can be provoked uh, to any one of a myriad of uh, emotions. We typically think of provoking just uh, as being uh, prompted or tempted to, to anger, but you can be provoked uh, to uh, anger uh, or sadness or laughter or joy. Now, and our narrative uh, begins uh, with this provocation of Hannah. But uh, what we are immediately to see from the very beginning here of uh, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, that little statement, there was a, a certain man. <clears throat> and what we're going to see in the life of Samuel, there are a lot of uh, connections between the life of Samuel and the life of Samson. Uh, and uh, Samson, as the last judge, uh, he didn't end well. Uh, and uh, if you if you go back into the, the birth narrative of Samson, uh, Judges chapter 13, verse 2, it begins in the same way. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had borne no children. Uh, so here in 1 Samuel, we have uh, that same introductory phrase. And then we have uh, a, a woman who does not have children. And there's going to be more, far more connections uh, as, as we progress uh, through this uh, between Samuel and Samson. But in these first nine verses, we're going to be introduced to all of the key characters in, in this early part of uh, Samuel. We see uh, this man, uh, Elkanah, uh, and we see his two uh, wives, uh, Hannah and Peninnah were also introduced to Eli the priest and his uh, unrighteous uh, sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, and uh, Elkanah is a, is a husband and a man of faith who, who worships Yahweh and leads his family in worship. But uh, it also says that he had uh, two wives, uh, which means that life was hard. And uh, that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, and uh, Peninnah is, is one of Elkanah's wives. Uh, and she provided multiple children for her husband. Uh, and uh, if you if you notice, what is what does Peninnah love to point out to Hannah? She does not have children. It says that that she provoked her, she irritated her, uh, and it wasn't just for a couple of months that this took place. But it says for how long? Year after year. Uh, and. Uh, uh, this past week in our, our growth group, somebody asked about the, the multiple wives that we see in uh, from David in First and Second Samuel. And uh, I, I just kind of commented, well, that, that's, it's descriptive, it's not prescriptive. It tells us uh, what was taking place and not what we should, that we should go and do likewise. And I also made the, the point that whenever you see a man with, with multiple wives in Scripture, uh, you immediately see conflict and heartache. Uh, the, the, the multiple wife family is not held up as like, look at this wonderful model of uh, unity and love and joy. It's always held up as like, look at what happens. Look at the misery uh, that, that follows this. And uh, you, you, can, uh, you can imagine uh, Hannah in this circumstance because families, uh, families know each other really, really well. Right? When, when you're in the same house with somebody uh, all the time, uh, you know all of the buttons to push to make somebody uh, provoked to, not to laughter, but to, to anger. Uh, and, and you can imagine uh, what it would be like to have uh, two uh, rival uh, wives in the house, and one of them is just constantly jabbing at the other one, constantly pointing out, I have kids and you don't. Hey, what are you going to do with your kids today? I'm going to take mine over here. Oh, you don't have kids. Oh, okay. That's the kind of thing that would have been taking uh, place day in and day out. And you can imagine 
how trying that was for Penina, or not for Penina, but for, for Hannah. Uh, and uh, she, she not only has her own trial of not having children, but she has this, uh, this rival wife that is constantly jabbing at her. But what, what we need to, to see in the text is that God is acting in this situation because it says something uh, twice. Who was responsible for closing Hannah's womb? Yahweh. Uh, the, the Lord is the one working here in the background. Uh, working through uh, these trials and in these circumstances uh, that Hannah is facing. Uh, and uh, in, these, uh, in this uh, story, we're going to begin to see right here and right now the, the beginning steps of a process, uh, beginning with provocations, beginning with trials and hardship. God is going to be working uh, in the life of one particular individual, but he's also working to accomplish something bigger and something greater. God was at work in Hannah's barrenness and in Peninnah's attacks. Uh, and he used uh, these attacks uh, and this barrenness to, to humble Hannah and, and to bring her to the point of absolute dependence upon God, uh, driving her to pray, as we're going to see. Uh, and ultimately, uh, we have to, to see and realize uh, that God loves to drive us to that point of dependence. Now, he, he loves to drive us to that point where we are absolutely humbled and we realize how desperately that we need him. Oftentimes, as, as you speak with people, the, the moments where they felt the closest to the Lord uh, is in, in the most dire of circumstances, uh, in the most difficult conflict, in, in uh, the hardest days of, of life and marriage uh, and parenting. They, they are closest to the Lord when they have to be dependent upon him completely. The Lord delights to exalt those who are humble. First Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 uh, says this, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Uh, and again, this is, this is a theme as we've been reading through First and Second Samuel. Uh, we, we see what does Saul like to do? Likes to elevate himself. And what does God like to do to Saul? Humble him. Uh, and what does David do? He humbles himself. And what does God love to do with David? He loves to exalt. Uh, th this is the pattern that is set forth uh, at the very beginning of the book of First Samuel. And this is going to be what takes place throughout. Now, humility and dependence are qualities that God desires in his people. Uh, and in order to get those qualities, he sometimes allows us to, to suffer. Now, he sometimes allows us to be jabbed over and over again by trials and circumstances in our life. And this is seen not just here in First and Second Samuel, uh, but this, this is seen in the, the, the lives of uh, God's people throughout the scriptures. Think about uh, the suffering of Joseph and Ruth and Hannah and Job uh, and Elizabeth and Peter and Paul. And even think of the suffering of Jesus. God used all of that in the lives of his people uh, to bring about his plans and his purposes. So how do we uh, take this truth and apply it to our own lives? Well, uh, first and foremost, we need to understand and embrace the fact that, that suffering is going to creep into our lives. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit of suffering, and sometimes it's going to be a whole lot of suffering. Uh, but God is working in and through that suffering. God is allowing it to take place. Uh, and he is allowing us to be provoked by these circumstances uh, so that we would uh, lean into him. Uh, and uh, when we 
when we lean into him, we have to believe, uh, believe and understand who God is and be convinced of certain theological truths even before we begin to, to suffer. And that, that God is absolutely sovereign, uh, that he is perfect in love, and that he is infinitely wise, that he is working in and through the trials that we face to bring about his plans and purposes. Uh, and we, again, we have to believe that now uh, before suffering comes into our lives uh, so that we are prepared for it. But then thirdly, we have to begin to see uh, these provocations as coming from God and keep our eyes to him. Oftentimes when we face trials and, and suffering, we, we, we run from God rather than towards him. Uh, we, uh, we lean into ourselves and, and not into Christ. Uh, and we need to allow the, our trials to provoke us to a deeper relationship uh, to God rather than a weaker relationship or running from him. Now, sometimes our trials can create bitterness or depression. Uh, and uh, if our trials are, are leading us uh, into ourselves, that's going to be the result. We're going to grow angry with God, angry toward others. Uh, but if we are uh, responding to these provocations in life uh, by turning to, to God in faith, uh, then we're going to draw near to him, and his heart is going to become our heart. And we're going to be dependent upon him. And that is exactly what Hannah did. In the midst of her suffering, she turns to God uh, in heartfelt prayer, which brings us to uh, the second tool that God uses uh, to bring about his purposes in our life. Uh, number one, he, he uses uh, our provocations, but number two, he uses our prayers. Read along with me, beginning in verse 9. Then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. It says, Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the temple of Yahweh. And she, bitter of soul, prayed to Yahweh and wept despondently. And she made a vow and said, O Yahweh of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a seed among men, then I will give him to Yahweh all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come on his head. Now it happened as she multiplied her prayer before Yahweh that Eli was watching her mouth. And as for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. And then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before Yahweh. Do not consider your maidservant as a vile woman, for I have uh, spoken until now out of my great complaint and provocation. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your servant woman find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And they arose early in the morning and worshipped before Yahweh, and turned back and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and Yahweh remembered her. So just as God used uh, Hannah's provocations, uh, he's now going to use her prayers. Uh, he brought her to the point of desperate prayer, but now he's going to use Hannah's prayer uh, to bring blessing to her life and to ultimately to provide a future leader uh, for the nation of Israel. Uh, and uh, it was uh, her husband's encouragement, uh, as demonstrated by her willingness to eat and drink, uh, and uh, her uh, prayer to God. And in her, in her great dis distress and desperation, she comes uh, into uh, Shiloh, where the tabernacle was. And uh, the description of her prayer in, in the Hebrew here is very 
uh, very picturesque. And what it, what it um, gives to us is the idea that her entire being uh, was lifted up to God in prayer. Uh, and, and you see the, the desperation of her circumstances. You see uh, how this is aching and weighing upon her. Uh, and uh, so she, with her whole heart, is, is praying to God, uh, and she makes a vow to God. Uh, and she says, if you give me a child, I, I will dedicate that child to serve you uh, in uh, all the days of his life. Uh, and she says, uh, a, a razor shall never touch his, uh, his head. Uh, and again, this, should, this is another one of those connections between Samuel and Samson. Uh, and, and what uh, Hannah is saying here is that she's, in essence, dedicating her son to be a Nazarite uh, for life. Uh, the, and usually a Nazarite vow was only for a specific period of time where you would let your hair uh, grow out and you wouldn't abstain from certain foods and certain things uh, so that you could be focused upon serving uh, the Lord. Uh, and Hannah says, God, if you answer this prayer, I vow to, to give this child to serve you all the days of his life. Uh, he'll be a Nazarite to you uh, and ultimately uh, to be dedicated to uh, God's service. And he's going to, to, ro- to grow up and, uh, and do what, what Samson could not do. In essence, he's going to be a, a faithful Nazarite where Samson was an unfaithful Nazarite. But, but think about this promise, this vow that, that Hannah is making. Right, Lord, if you would only uh, give me this, this thing that I've wanted so desperately, if you would give it to me, I'll give it directly back to you. It's a profound promise. It's a very profound uh, prayer and vow that she makes. Uh, and what, what we see is uh, something similar to uh, the faith of Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 22. Right? Abraham has this son, Isaac, that he has waited a long, long time for. Uh, and uh, God says, okay, now go sacrifice this son that you've been waiting for so long. And Abraham says, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And what Hannah is offering up here is she's initiating this on her own and saying, if you give me this son, I'll offer him back to you. And uh, what, what's amazing is Hannah is, uh, is praying here in, in the tabernacle and in the, the tabernacle complex. Uh, and, and Eli misinterprets what's happening. And then she, she says, no, I'm, I'm actually just praying. And then Eli uh, blesses and in essence confirms that the Lord will answer her prayer. Uh, he says, hey, may the Lord answer your prayer according to what you have asked. Uh, and uh, and uh, may he give you favor. Uh, and uh, she uh, is encouraged by this, and she, uh, she goes and she departs, and they, and they get home, and the end of verse 19 says, uh, kind of in a, in a Hebrew idiom way of saying uh, that Yahweh remembered her. It's a Hebrew way of saying uh, God has uh, answered Hannah's prayer. Uh, and, and within this narrative, what we see is that Hannah received because Hannah asked. Uh, and uh, parents often try to, to teach their children to, to ask for things. Uh, uh, w- with our kids, we've taught them uh, sign language. A little, uh, when, they, when they don't have words, how do you communicate with them? Uh, and our, our little daughter, we just put her in, uh, in the high chair and started giving her some foods. And, we, and so my wife was like, oh, I need to start to, to teach her uh, sign language now. And so she started to say, okay, can you say more and please? And my daughter's response was, ah! 
and so that, that's about the, the, as much explanation as, as they have. But, but, but from a young age, parents try and teach uh, our kids uh, to make requests and to make appeals. And, and children naturally have a need uh, to, to make requests of their parents because they're, they're short. Uh, they're limited in their capacity of uh, what to do and how to do things. And so uh, children understand because of their size and their immaturity that they have to, to ask for help. But, but as we grow older into adulthood, uh, what do we tend to do? Uh, we tend to become more and more independent. Uh, and we tend to, to ask for less and less help from our Heavenly Father. And we try in our own strengths to grab things that are within our reach, try and grab it in our, in our own way and in our own time. Uh, and then even uh, when things are beyond our reach— we attempt to grab them. Uh, and yet those same things, if we would just go to the Lord in prayer, it's so easy for him to say, hey, here you go. You, you have asked and I have given. You have asked and I am willing to give it to you. You can receive. And we do this. We, we don't come to, to God in prayer because oftentimes we don't realize the power of prayer. We could say we don't believe the power of prayer. And we don't see and understand how God uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes. Again, this is a, this is a process that we see here. Uh, Hannah is provoked. Her, her, her trials uh, afflict her, and she is brought low. And in those moments of being low, what are we called to do? To turn to God in prayer. So God uses those provocations, and now he's going to use our prayers to bring about what he is intending in our lives. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 9, uh, chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. Jesus shows us how God uses our prayers in his plan. It says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. And while God does use our prayers to accomplish his purposes, uh, we have to keep in mind that our prayers in no way obligate God uh, to do something. Okay, so, so Hannah made this vow, uh, and she received uh, an answer to her prayer. But this is not saying that if you just make a, a vow to God, if you just dedicate your children to God, you can get whatever you want. Uh, that, that's not the, the pattern uh, being emphasized here. Prayer is not some magic wand that relegates God to the status of a, of a genie who's going to fulfill our wishes and desires. Uh, Hannah's prayer uh, was answered as she lifted it up to God, first and foremost, because her prayer was in alignment with what God's plan was. Uh, when our prayers are in alignment with God's plans and purposes, we're going to see uh, answers to those prayers. Uh, and uh, Along uh, this uh, vein, uh, one uh, author and commentator says this, that, that prayer is a means by which uh, God enfolds us into the outworking of his eternal plan. That prayer is God's means for God's ends. And that God executes his plan and accomplishes his purpose through the mediation of our prayers as his people. And prayer is intended by God to engage us in the accomplishment of his purposes for his own glory and goals. 
Uh, and this is an amazing blessing and privilege when you, when you really see the power of prayer and how God uses prayer. Uh, God enfolds us into what he is seeking to accomplish in our lives. He says, hey, come join me in this process. He's not dependent upon us in any way, shape, or form, but he folds us into uh, of his working uh, and what he is doing. And our prayers are an instrument in God's hands to accomplish what he's wanting to accomplish. Uh, and we have to begin to, to wrestle with, is that how I view prayer? Uh, do, do I value prayer? Do I have a, a low view of prayer? Or do I have a high view of prayer? Do I depend upon God? And is that evident by, by my constantly going to him in my moments of need, in my desperation? Do I see myself as uh, lowly and in need of God's help? And if I see myself in that way, it's going to be made evidence by praying. But if I uh, constantly am viewing myself as being able to, to handle all of life's circumstances in my own strength, in my own wisdom, uh, and uh, if I'm living according to my own way, what is that going to look like? It's going to look like prayerlessness. It's going to look like me uh, doing whatever I would want to do. And if we were to evaluate our, our prayer lives, I think all of us could say that we, would pr we could pray more. No one's going to say ever, I pray too much. But we would all say that we pray too little. And if we pray too little, we are missing out on one of the greatest and most profound blessings in the Christian life. We're missing out on seeing God answer our prayers. We're missing out on seeing how we prayed over and over again. And we're missing out on seeing how God then answered those prayers. So I would encourage you not, not just to, to pray regularly, uh, but to write down your prayers. Write down the things that you are praying for and then write down how God answered those prayers. Uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm very thankful that I did along this whole uh, moving from California to plant a, and start a church up here uh, is that, that I have uh, journals of how God has uh, provided uh, exactly for our needs at exactly the right time. Uh, and now I'm able to, to speak with my kids, right? And the, when those trials and provocations come in the future, when hard times arise, guess what I'm able to do? Uh, I can first and foremost point to the scriptures and say, look at God's faithfulness. Look at how he has a track record of faithfulness to his people for thousands of years. We can trust him because first and foremost, his, his word says that we can. But then secondly, let me lay out for you in our own family life how the Lord has provided in so many ways, exactly when we needed it. Now, I would encourage you to pray diligently and regularly and write down those prayers and see and understand that God is calling you to pray so that he might answer your prayers, so that he might use your prayers to accomplish what he is seeking to accomplish in your life and seeking to accomplish in the world around us. But we have to, uh, in those moments of trials, in those moments where we are provoked by our circumstances, we have to pray. We have to respond in prayerful dependence upon God rather than sinful independence. Oftentimes when we are provoked by circumstances, we like to, to go to anyone and everyone else except God. Right? Our, our first tendency is usually to, to do what? We, we go and, and grumble and complain to others. 
Uh, we, we say, oh, this is so hard. This is this. Can you believe this person did this and they're saying this and all of that? And we, we have to be careful about our hearts in that moment and we have to be careful about what that is doing in the hearts of others. Uh, grumbling and complaining becomes contagious uh, and it spreads. Again, just look at Old Testament Israel. But in our, in our first response to provocations in life should be what? Turning to God in prayer uh, and, and lifting up our hearts, our entire beings to God. And out of uh, our despair, we need to turn not uh, inward, not to ourselves, not outward to others. We need to turn upward in prayer to God, recognizing that he is the one who is able to, uh, to resolve any and every situation. Uh, that he is able to work in any and every circumstance, uh, and we need to depend upon him uh, to fulfill his purpose. And that's why when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, says, whose will to be done? Not, not my will, but thy will. We can lift up our hearts and, and, uh, and ask for things, but then ultimately we, we hold it loosely and say, Lord, can you accomplish this if it would be your will? And, and that's exactly what Hannah does. She turns to the Lord in prayer, in the midst of her provocations, and, and she, she runs to God's presence to petition him for a child. Uh, and, and this, as it turns out, is exactly what the Lord is going to use uh, to, to fulfill what he has been planning to do. Remember the big picture of 1 Samuel. God is taking uh, tribal Israel, and he's going to form them into a singular, cohesive nation. And that begins with uh, this young man that Hannah is going to give birth to. And so what we have seen is God uses uh, our provocations and he uses our prayers. But then a third tool that God uses is his provision. If you read with me in beginning in verse 20, we'll read through the end of the chapter. It says, Now it happened in due time that Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of Yahweh. And then the man Elkanah went up uh, w with all his household to offer to Yahweh the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the young boy is weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before Yahweh and stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what is good in your eyes. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may Yahweh establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her uh, with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of Yahweh in Shiloh, although the boy was young. And they slaughtered the bull and brought the young boy to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to Yahweh. And for this young boy I prayed, and Yahweh has given me my petition, which I asked of him. And so I have also dedicated him to Yahweh. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to Yahweh. And so he worshiped Yahweh there. What we see is that God remembered Hannah's prayer, uh, and he provided her with a son, whom she named Samuel. Uh, and uh, we see that, that Elkanah continued his, his practice of going up to Shiloh uh, to worship uh, with his family. Uh, and, and Hannah stays behind. 
Um, and uh, this young boy is not ready to go and be entrusted into temple service. It would probably not be kind to go and hand a, a tiny baby to the Eli, the priest, and say, okay, now you take care of him and watch him. So she's, gonna, she's going to, to raise up uh, Samuel for a few years. Uh, and when he's a toddler, just a little fella, she, she's going to, to bring him up with uh, other things that are to be sacrificed and dedicated to God. She's got a three-year-old uh, uh, cow, a bull, uh, and she has a three-year-old child that she's taking with her up to Shiloh. Uh, and both of them are going to be uh, a, a sacrifice, an offering to God. And you can imagine how difficult this would have been for Hannah in those years of, of weaning and caring for uh, her little boy. What's going on in the back of her mind? I'm going to hand him over. I prayed so long for this child, and now uh, I'm going to hand him over. And what would the temptation have been? Maybe I can renegotiate with God, right? Can, can, we, can we alter the terms of service on this agreement? Uh, and, but, but she doesn't do that. Uh, out, of, out of worship uh, and dedication to Yahweh, she keeps the vow that would have been uh, so tempting to break. But she is committed to, to going and offering back to God what he has given to her. And she, she comes uh, and she speaks to Eli and says, Hey, Eli, remember I'm that woman that you thought was drunk. Uh, and she says, I was praying for this little boy. This is what I was praying for. This is the, the answer to the prayer. You said, may the Lord go and give you favor and answer the, your petition. Th- look what he's done. She comes and gives a report to the priest, and then she says, take this young man into your service. And she gives back to Yahweh what he had given to her. And Hannah didn't realize it in that moment, but God was at work, not only for, uh, in, in her life, but also, again, to provide a leader for his people. And so, so am I saying that, that God gives self-serving gifts? Yes. Uh, and most of us have ex- some experience in, in giving a, a self-serving uh, gift uh, or receiving a self-serving gift, probably if you're a wife. Uh, a husband can give uh, his wife a small kitchen or cleaning appliance for a birthday. Anyone ever made that mistake? I won't, I won't ask for hands. Uh, but uh, was that received well? No, because it was, to a certain degree, a self-serving gift. It would benefit the giver more than it benefits the one receiving the gift. And, and we look down on that on a human level, but what we have to, to see and to realize that on, from a divine perspective, uh, everything that God gives to us should be a self-serving gift for him. Now, everything that he gives to us is intended to be used by us, yes, but it's also to be used by us for his glory, honor, and praise. His gifts to his children are not merely self-serving. Again, they, they provide and benefit uh, us, uh, but God delights to provide gifts that are going to work according to his plan and to bring glory, honor, and praise to his name. God provided the perfect gift uh, for Hannah, the child that she had always longed for and fervently prayed for, Uh, And God was going to to use this same child to fulfill a huge need in the nation of Israel. God had big plans for Samuel that Hannah had no concept of when she was just praying for a child. But God says, yes, I'll answer your prayer and I'll do something even bigger. See, Samuel is going to be uh, a prophet who's going to pronounce judgment uh, on the house of Eli and upon the unrighteous sons of Eli. 
who are acting as priests over Israel. Hannah doesn't know that her son is going to be used by God as a judge. Chapter 7 is going to say Samuel was a judge over Israel his whole life. Other judges had small periods of time where there were judges, but Samuel says uh, he was a judge for his whole life. And and ultimately, Samuel is going to do what Samson could not do. He's going to bring uh, a defeat to uh, the Philistines. Hannah didn't know it, but her son was going to be used by God to anoint the first two kings of Israel. And Samuel is this transitional uh, figure uh, in Israel's history. And Hannah didn't know any of these things. What was she concerned about? Can I, can I have a child? That, that was what her focus was. But God's plans are so much bigger than our plans. And again, if, if we come to him in prayer and respond uh, well to those provocations, uh, God is going to enfold us into his plans. Uh, and use us to fulfill uh, what he is seeking to accomplish. But Hannah didn't understand all of this. She just, she was committed to promising to give back to God the gift that he had given her, which demonstrates a very, very important spiritual truth. That the gifts God gives to us, we are to give back to him in worship because they are not merely given for our benefit, but they are given for God's glory. Uh, King David understood this principle in 1 Chronicles 29 as he's calling for the, uh, the people to, to provide for the, the future temple. Uh, in his uh, prayer, he's just overwhelmed by all that the Lord or, or that all the people of Israel brought for the construction of the temple. But he says this, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. This is the truth that God's gifts uh, give back to him also. Uh, And this is kind of a a spiritual measuring stick uh, for our own uh, spiritual lives uh, of how do do we steward what God has given to us. Uh, And this is beyond just uh, financial uh, resources. How do you steward your time? Because that's a gift from the Lord. How do you steward your job? How do you steward your possessions? Uh, How do you uh, steward your relationship with uh, your spouse? and your children, and everything that God has blessed you with, how are you stewarding it and giving it uh, back to God? How are you utilizing everything that he has given to you for his glory? Well, we see this in, the, in Matthew uh, chapter 25 in the, in the parable of the talents, right? Uh, where we see a, a master entrusting to his slaves uh, resources. He says, I'm, I'm going to give these to you, and when I come back, I want you to show me how you've used these resources to advance uh, not themselves, uh, but uh, the, the wealth uh, and the standing of the master. And uh, two of the, the slaves uh, worked productively and effectively, and they had more to give back to their master when he returned. But there was one, uh, one particular servant who went uh, and hid the money, didn't want to do anything. He, was, he said, I, I wanted to make sure to give back to you uh, when you came back. I didn't want to lose it. But the Lord says uh, in in, uh, responding and evaluating this slave, uh, he says that he was lazy and did not use what was given to him, and he condemned him. But the other two servants, they heard, well done, good and faithful. Right? And we all long to hear that, and one day we will all be evaluated in that same way. Everything that has been entrusted to us, we're going to have to give an account for. So husbands, 
How are you doing in shepherding the family that God has blessed you with? How are you shepherding them for God's glory? How are you spending your time at home in pursuit of your own hobbies and your own interests? Or are you investing? Are you discipling? Are you pouring into the children and the wife that God has blessed you with? Wives, how are you loving and caring for the husband and children that the Lord has blessed you with? Are you, are you focused upon uh, other things and seeking to, to please everybody else in the world on social media or focused more upon uh, caring and, and leading uh, your children and loving your husband well in the home? Teens and college students, young singles, now are you serving the Lord in this period of singleness? You may not believe it, but singleness is a blessing. It says so in 1 Corinthians 7. And you may not realize it, but right now you have more time on your hands than you will have at any other point in life. Uh, you think you're so busy now, just wait. Uh, but are you using your singleness and your time as a young single to glorify God? Now, you are able to do things that, that a, a married individual is not able to do. Uh, you can take up and, and go to the mission field. You can go serve God in, in a variety of ways that those with, uh, with spouses and children are not able to do. And do you see that as a blessing? Grandparents, are you turning around uh, and pouring back into previous generations, uh, teaching and instructing them, being there to, to help and come alongside them? See, these are all the, the gifts and the blessings that God has given to each and every one of us. Uh, and they have been entrusted to us, not for our own benefit, so that, but that, so that we could go and pour into others. The gifts that God gives to us, we are to give back to Him. And that is how God builds each of us up. That is how God builds up His church. And that's how God brings glory to His name. As we look back at, at the tools that God uses in this process to, to accomplish His plans and His purposes, but we see that he uses our provocations, our trials and circumstances in life. And then he uses our response to those circumstances. What we should be doing is turning to him in prayer. And then he uses his provision, his answer to our prayers, he also uses as his plans unfold. This is how God works. And we don't necessarily uh, see our good or his glory in that first step. That's the hardest step, right? Like, God, can we skip past the trials and just get to you answering my prayers, right? Can, can we get to that? That's the, that's the fun and encouraging part. The trials are the hard part. But God uses each of these tools. He uses this whole process. And we can trust that if we turn to him in the process, that we will be edified and he will be glorified. When the missionary William Carey uh, established a, a missionary work in India, he set up a printing house there to be able to, to print portions of Bibles. But on one evening, March 11th, 1812, the entire printing house was destroyed by fire. 2,000 reams of paper and many volumes of Scripture fed the flames, and the fonts of uh, 13 languages uh, and manuscripts in seven different languages were all consumed. Years and years of work, along with Carey's manuscript uh, dictionary for Sanskrit, which he'd worked on for, for years and was almost ready to be published. And the next morning, uh, Carey walked over to the smoking ruins with a friend and with tears in his eyes, he says, in one short evening... The labors of years are consumed. He says, he says, how unsearchable are the ways of God. 
The Lord has laid me low that I may look more simply to him. That's what God wants to do in those trials and those provocations, right? But the Lord had good in mind with this little disaster. William Carey didn't realize that this fire uh, would prove to be the means of making uh, his work in India famous. Because the news of this fire went out all over Europe and America as well as India. And uh, men across every uh, Christian uh, school and men interested only in the literary and secular side of the enterprise uh, actively gave their sympathy and their, their money to restore what was lost. Uh, the, the loss uh, that day uh, was probably close to 10,000 pounds worth of uh, materials and, and uh, goods there in that fire. And it says within the first 50 days after that, uh, in England and Scotland alone, that money was raised until Andrew Fuller, the leader of the, the missionary work back at, at home, uh, ha- said, we have to stop taking contributions because all of it has been provided for, all that we need. And God used that for good. And in that moment, William Carey, in the, in the middle of seeing his, his entire uh, years of, of work and labor burning up, doesn't see how God is going to use that, but that's what we have to be convinced of. You don't know how uh, the difficult circumstances that you are facing right now, how God is going to use those in your life to bring about good for you and glory to him. But we have to, to trust that he is able to do that. And we have to turn to him in prayer when we are provoked, when we are brought low. And then we have to trust that God will answer those prayers in his perfect time and in his perfect way to bring about not only something for us, but something even bigger and greater. Oftentimes, we don't even realize what God is doing, right? He's doing a million things, and we see six, if that. Sometimes we struggle to see one, but we have to trust that He is working, and He is a good and faithful Father who is at work in all of our suffering. So may we pray to Him in response to the trials that we face, and knowing that he will use his answers and his provisions to our prayers to bring about glory, honor, and praise to his name. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so, so amazed by the way that you work. We are so thankful for what you have recorded for us here in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Father, we are so thankful that we are able to to look back and see this pattern, see this process, that we are able to look back and see the tools that you used in the life of Hannah, not only to provide for her and to sanctify her, but to provide for your people in a much bigger and greater way. Father, help us to entrust ourselves to you. In moments when we are provoked to anger, in moments when we are provoked to tears, in moments that we are tempted to despair and deeply and profoundly humbled, may we turn to you with petition, crying out with our entire being, asking you to to work and act in our circumstances. And Lord, increase our faith. Help us to see and behold answered prayer and help us to trust in you all the more for it. And Father, help us to see our Uh, everything that we have in this life uh, as uh, a gift from you that needs to be used for you. And help us to give back to you all that you have given to us 
Uh, and again, may that be a, a joy and a, a source of encouragement to our souls. But we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time together this morning. We ask that you would glorify your name in and through all of our trials and in and through all of our prayers and in and through all of your answers to our prayers. Uh, we thank you, we praise you, and we will continue to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we sing How Marvelous. I just want to read uh, just the beginning of Hannah's prayer. It's just so well written and what we just learned. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you and there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth for the Lord is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him.
Christmas.